Live. Live. Live from... This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast, featuring New York sports talk and long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. First of two shows this week. First up, the regular sports stuff. We're going to get ready for the college football playoff. Talk to USA Today's college football columnist, Dan Walken. He will break down all of the CFP headlines, the controversy surrounding the selection committee, and whether or not the games actually meant anything this year. Talk about the Heisen race. All that good stuff with Dan in just a bit. We're also going to do our Week 17 NFL picks at Allen Austin. Allen's a big Giants fan. We'll talk Giants football and make the last picks of the regular season. All that's coming up in just a bit, but we'll get it all started with our opening tip, including what we have to watch for in Week 17 of the NFL season right after this. Ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, opening tip time. Talking week 17. The locals, one team has something to play for, one doesn't. We'll start with the Jets, who are the ones that don't. They are locked in the number two pick in the draft. They win again on Sunday. They topped the Browns, who are dealing with plenty of issues with Kobe protocols, taking out their top four receivers, down two offensive linemen, down a couple of linebackers. You saw earlier the way the Jets were playing, the way the Browns are playing, that this game was not going to be close. Ended up being a big Jet win. And the Jets locked themselves in number two. The Jaguars played close about a quarter. Then they just got steamrolled by the Bears. Jaguars picking one, picking Trevor Lawrence. The Jets now locked at number two. They cannot fall any lower thanks to some recent wins from the Bengals. The Jets sitting at two here means they have a choice to make. There's these three odds I think you have with the number two pick. Number one is you stay right where you are and you take the second best quarterback in the pool, whether you think it's Zach Wilson, Justin Field, somebody else, maybe Trey Lance. You think that's your option one. Option two. And by the way, option one also involves trading Stan Darrell away to try to recoup maybe a second round pick. Option two. Keep Sam Darnold, stay put at number two, and take Penny Suell, the offensive tackle, and give yourself a pair of bookend tackles to protect Sam Darnold for the next like decade or so. That's your hope. Plan number three, you keep Sam Darnold, you trade back from two for somebody else. Maybe the Panthers want a quarterback at number two, and they want Justin Field, and you don't like as much. Trade back, get more picks, and then use them to address other needs. I think the problem with options two and three is they involve you basically buying into Sam Darnold and what he's shown you this year is not enough to say, okay, he's still our guy. He's the one we want to build the franchise around because he has taken steps backwards. Statistically, he's the worst starting quarterback in the league this year, which is impressive considering how bad Carson Wentz looked at points. The problem here is the contract situation because he has one year left on his rookie deal. You have to decide to pick up his fifth-year option, which basically gives you a $40 million guarantee over two years. That takes a lot of money out of your cap that you could use towards addressing other needs. And it's a big bet to make, especially with a GM who didn't draft him, the head coach, regardless of whether the owner is somehow fooled to keeping Adam Gase or a new guy did not draft Sand Arnold. And the NFL is currently set up where it's beneficial to have a quarterback on a rookie deal 
who, which will allow you to spend on other areas of the team. And the Jets need so much help still. The defense is getting better. They still have needs as an edge rusher. They could use a number one cornerback. There's some talent there. The offense, though, you need a number one receiver badly. You need more help on the offensive line. You need help at the running back. You can use another tight end. You need a veteran quarterback here regardless to either back up the kid or push Darnold. That's a lot of money to tie up in Sam Darnold being inconsistent. And I think they have to move on here. The other thing I'm worried about here is this owner who is a big love affair with Adam Gase, who got sold him by Peyton Manning a phone call saying how great he was. Do not get fooled by a potential three-game waste for the end of the season saying, this is it. He's got it figured out. We're going to take him on, and we're going to go forward with him. He has shown you nothing over the first 13 weeks to make you think that he's the right guy. If I was a rational owner, I saw the way my team played the last two weeks, I would go to the coach and ask, where was this team all season? Where were the Jets when we were 0-9, getting blown out of the building left and right? Why now are we playing well? That speaks to me that the coach did not figure it out early enough, and that's a problem. Especially considering the fact that if Cleveland wins this week, the Jets have the longest playoff route in the NFL. That's unacceptable for an ER team. There's no pressure to win. You cannot get sold a fool's goal here because remember last year, started out 1-7, went 6-2 down the stretch, and all we heard was, oh, the momentum from this second half is going to carry over to the next season. The momentum carried over to an 0-13 start. Don't get fooled again. The Giants, ugly game against the Ravens, got blown out, but they're still alive thanks to their miserable division. Washington football team loses, to, and Dallas wins, keeping them still mathematically alive. The path for the Giants is this. They play the Cowboys at 1 o'clock on Sunday. They have to win. If they don't, they go home. If they win, they wait till late 20. When Washington, with who knows who a quarterback is week, because Dwayne Hassett just got cut. Alex Smith is still coming off a calf injury, and you have Taylor Heineke potentially starting in Philadelphia. If Washington wins, none of this matters. They go to the playoffs. If the Giants win and Washington loses in prime time, the Giants host the wild card game next week, probably against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady. That's the scenario you're watching with the Giants this week. Playoff races, here's what you need to know. We'll start with the NFC. Home field advantage, a little complicated. Green Bay. Wins, they get it. New Orleans still alive for it. Seattle still alive for it. If you have a three-way tie, it goes to the Saints, which means Green Bay would have to lose. The other two would have to win. If Green Bay and Seattle are tied, Seattle gets it on tiebreakers. If Green Bay and New Orleans are tied, Green Bay gets it on the strength of a tiebreaker because they beat the Saints head-to-head early in the season. The six, seven spots in the NFC are also up for grabs. Tampa Bay still could technically fall, but... The Rams situation is a disaster. The Rams saw Jared Goff fracture his thumb in the loss of Seattle last week. You may not be able to play on Sunday. That would mean John Wolford, Jet fans remember him. He was on the preseason roster last year. He could be the starter. That would not be good in Arizona. The Rams, Cardinals, and Bears, two of those three are going to get in. Right now, it's Rams 6, Bears 7. If Arizona wins the game, the Bears have to win. Otherwise, they're out because they lost a head-to-head tiebreaker with the Rams. I, if I was to guess right now, I would say it's going to end up being Arizona 6, Rams 7, Bears out. That's my prediction with that. AFC South race. Both the Colts and the Titans are still alive. And they're 10-5 and five each after they both lost in Week 16. Tennessee wins the division with a win in Houston. That game is scary because the Titans' defense is so bad. The Texans have offensive capability. And J.J. Watt came out this week and said, hey, 
We need to play harder for our fans. They deserve better. It's a tricky road game. Would not be shocked if the Titans lost that game outright. The Indianapolis Colts going to hosting Jacksonville, one in fourteen. Not trying. They're going to win that game, running away. The wild cards. Miami has to beat Buffalo to get in. That's going to be a tricky spot for them. Cleveland has to beat the Steelers at home. You would say, "Uh oh, this is problematic." But you get the sense that maybe the Steelers, who did not remember, did not get a bye week this year. The Tennessee COVID situation screwed up their bye because they basically prepared, got no time off. They're playing to get time off after the Thanksgiving game with the Ravens. That got pushed back, so they couldn't get that either. Don't be shocked if Mike Tomlin says, hey, I'm going to give some of the big guys some rest. I think Cleveland wins this game, especially to get everybody back off the COVID list this week. You also have the Ravens going to Cincinnati. They're cruising. They're going to win that game big. I think at the end of the day, you're probably going to end up with some combination of Tennessee or Indy in the South. I think the Dolphins will be the team that's left on the outside looking in. That's my hunch here. I feel the Bills are going to go for that number two seed and get it. A lot of intrigue in the AFC and the games you want to watch this week. Giants fans, obviously, you watch both NFC East games. That's up for grabs. Packers, Bears, 425, big game. The Rams, Cardinals game at 425 is a big game. Steelers, Browns, 1 o'clock window. Very important game in the AFC. And there's a lot of games that playoff implications are abound. We'll talk more about that next week in the fallout of Week 17. But up next, we get to talk about the college football playoff with Dan Wilkin right after this clip of future Jaguars quarterback Trevor Lawrence making a big play against Notre Dame in the AC championship game on ESPN, courtesy of ESPN's Chris Fowler. Up, then it's been about him this year. Here's Lawrence for the keeper, in the clear. Lawrence headed for the end zone. Touchdown, Tigers. Got one hand on the trophy now. All right, I am back here on the podcast talking college football with USA Today's college football columnist, Dan Wilkin. Dan, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing pretty good. I have to say, this is definitely a very unusual college football season. I remember back in August, we had doubts that a couple of these even play. In the end, we got sort of a mishmash year. What did you think about the year as a whole? Well, it was a tough year. And, you know, when college football decided collectively that they were going to go forward and try to play the season. Um, I, I think you would have had to have had your head buried pretty far into the sand to not realize just exactly what uh, that was going to entail. And you know, I think we've tried to do the best we can as reporters, not just me, but other people and trying to tell that story and what teams have had to go through to be able to get to this point. And, just how difficult it was. And, you know, still, I'm not sure we've done the best job because there are a lot of people who you know, think this is easy or think that this was somewhat normal. It wasn't normal, but, you know, we've made it basically to, to the finish line almost. And I think that everyone involved in college football is just going to be ready to close the chapter on this and, and move on and hope that 2021 is better. And, and once that championship game ends, there's going to be a lot of people who, you know, exhale and, have a stiff drink and uh, sleep well because it's it's been a tough year. It definitely has been a tough year. We saw a bunch of games get canceled. A lot of teams had issues with the coronavirus. Even Trevor Lawrence tested positive at one point. You think if you gave some of the big power brokers college basketball, college football truth here, would you can do you think they would consider this year a success? Well, if success is getting to the end, then yeah, it's been a success. Um, you know, now that doesn't include a lot of other factors and. You know, a lot of people got COVID and, 
you know, a lot of schools dealt with, you know, various hardships, some of which we know about, some of which we don't. Uh, but the bottom line is college football felt like they had to play this year because of money. And, you know, I think you can take a step back and question whether or not this year may be exposed that the economic model in college football is, is completely out of whack and completely unfair. I mean, the players had to take on this responsibility, this risk, and they, and they didn't get compensated for it. And, you know, and I think that's exposed a fundamental issue that is going to have to be dealt with at some point. Um, but, you know, I think that for these schools, the immediate need was to get the TV money. And it looks like they're going to do that. And they're going to try to minimize the damage and come back next year and, and try to get back in line with, with the way it was before. Yeah, that makes some sense. Obviously, the big storyline this week is getting ready for the college football playoff. We have our four teams, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and Notre Dame. And there was a lot of controversy down the stretch about the metrics the selection committee was using to pick these teams. And sort of felt like the big four got locked in after that Clemson-Notre Dame game. So what's your take on this controversy in terms of teams like Cincinnati, Texas A&M, just feeling like the game, their game sort of didn't even count? Look, uh, the College Football Playoff Selection Committee has been nothing if not consistent over the years, uh, which is that that they pick the teams that they think are the four best. And, you know, there's enough leeway and vague vagueness written into the rules that they can do whatever they want. And so anyone who didn't see Ohio State coming on this, uh, that's on them. Like, it was very clear that, that Ohio State was going to get in uh, as long as they went undefeated. As far as Texas A&M and Cincinnati, uh, look, uh, Notre Dame, despite how bad they looked in the final game, it was just very obvious that they were going to be the number four team. Um, They had the best win of the year uh, over Clemson. They had beaten North Carolina, which was a top 15 win clearly better than anything that that Texas A&M had done as their second best win. So when you just did a resume to resume comparison, Notre Dame was clearly in better position than than A&M. And as far as Cincinnati, I mean they're just like I I would have put Cincinnati in, but there's just they're never going to put a group of 5 team in as long as it's 4 teams. It's just never going to do it. Yeah, would you feel the Bearcats do have the biggest gripe here? Because, I mean, they did go undefeated, yet they saw their ranking keep dropping even they weren't playing games. And it felt like Ohio State only played six, but Cincinnati got punished for not playing as many games. I feel like that was sort of their like, argument here. Well, I, I, look, Cincinnati could have done anything this year, and they would have ended up in the exact same position. Played as many games, whatever opponents. They were not getting in the top four. Like, the committee's not going to put in an American Athletic Conference team in the top four period end of story and um so Cincinnati ended up they could have played those other games they were going to end up in the exact same place uh, that's a fundamental issue with the system that's got nothing to do with Cincinnati or the schedule they played that that's the system and until it expands to eight and even then I'm not so sure but in, even but until it expands to eight if you're in a group of five conference you you have no hope of getting in yeah, I definitely think that makes some sense. I don't think people also realize this is also, this also is TV motivated, I'm sure, because when you have the ratings that Notre Dame brings post to Cincinnati, it's got to be a factor, at least in the back of their minds, and they don't want to admit it. I don't think anyone in that committee room is discussing TV ratings. You know, I don't think they're looking at this and saying, boy, 
that Notre Dame Alabama matchup, that'd be great for television. I don't think they're saying that, uh, but there is baked into college football a belief that if you come from a group of five conferences, you have not played as tough of a schedule that that you have not played as as difficult of a you've not had as difficult of a road, and you know there is brand bias in it's the same teams over and over and over again, every single year. And so they get the benefit of the doubt and Alabama a couple years ago, they get the benefit of the doubt because you know, that, that even though they didn't win their conference, they had one loss and they have the best players, you know, every single year they look at how they recruit and, you know, it's eye test. And so there is a brand bias, but I don't think it's necessarily, Oh, this team will generate more TV ratings. I don't think the committee's talking about that. I don't think they are. I think it might be more of a subconscious thing, but we do have our game set. First game is Alabama and Notre Dame, and this is one I'm interested to see how Notre Dame plays because in the past they've gotten some of these college football playoff games. They've laid eggs on the big stage. Do you think there's any chance this is different for Notre Dame? Is this going to be like an Alabama-like steamroll? Um, look, I think there it's more likely than not that that Alabama wins the game and wins the game comfortably. Uh, but I don't think that that's necessarily a knock on Notre Dame. I think that's just Alabama being that much better than everybody else. So you're talking about an Alabama team that the lowest offensive output they've had all year long was 38 points in the season opener. Every other game they've been in the 40s and 50s, and that's tough. Uh, so I think Notre Dame as a program has continually improved. They've continually gotten better players. They're more physical. I think their defensive line, they really, really um, match up well you know, with, with uh, the other teams in the playoff, they've got NFL players up front, you know, and maybe that that'll be a way that they can slow Alabama down, stop the running game. Um, they can pressure Mac Jones. We'll, we'll see. Like th- they were good enough to, to beat Clemson. They were, they out physical Clemson in that first meeting. Um, so I, I think they're capable. It's just, they're up against, you know, one of the great offenses of all time. Yeah, I think that doesn't make some sense. I think the more intriguing game is the second game of the day. And again, talking to Dan Wolken of USA Today, talking about the Clemson-Ohio State matchup, the matchup of potentially the two top picks in the NFL draft and Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. What are your, think, what are your thoughts on that matchup? I, I don't think this is going to be a good game, personally. Um, I, Ohio State has shown nothing this year to indicate that they're capable of playing with Clemson. And I, I don't think that's about their talent like they clearly have great talent but their season has just been so disjointed and so uh bereft of continuity and momentum that their level of play has just not been that high and when you have to you know play a week and take two weeks off and then play two and then take three weeks off like they played one game uh, since thanksgiving and you know i just don't think that that they've had the continuity this year from week to week to, to build a, a, a solid core, a solid foundation of who they are. And I think that's why you've seen when they played Indiana and when they played Northwestern, why their offense has kind of looked look kind, kind of mediocre. And I, I just, I just don't see them ha- having it all click and fall into place uh, this weekend. I, I, I think Clemson wins big. Yeah, and obviously the New York fans here might be more invested because Justin Fields will be in the mix that second pick. The Jets are sitting there at number two. Based on what you've seen out of him this year, like what would how would you describe his game and his how do you think he can translate to the next level? Well, I think he's gonna have a great chance to be a good NFL quarterback. Like he's got incredible tools. Uh this year's just been a a, a bit of a disaster. And 
and I think what teams are going to have to ask themselves, and this is not for me to, to figure out, like this is for the teams who are drafting, is you know, Justin Fields is a guy who made tremendous progress from the time he got into college to last season when he clearly looked like he was on the same type of level with Trevor Lawrence. And then this year you've seen you know, what, what looks like a regression, but you know, it might just be, like I talked about earlier, the lack of continuity not having uh you know your same receivers not having the the time to gel and and you know kind of just get your feet under you like is his lack of production in some of these games a product of uh the circumstances or did he regress and you know those NFL teams who are drafting in those spots 2 through you know 6 7 8 9 10 are going to have to figure that out yeah they absolutely will and Obviously, it sounds like you're picking Alabama and Clemson would be your leans here. If those two meet in the title game, who would you like to win that game? I've liked Alabama all year long. I just think that the way their offense has been built, it's so dynamic. Uh, it's so well designed. Mac Jones has been so good at, at getting the ball where it needs to be. He's not made a ton of mistakes. Obviously, Clemson's a great team as well. Their talent from top to bottom is unquestioned. I just think that, you know, in a, in a game where you have to, you know, keep scoring, I think, Al- I think Alabama's just got a little bit of an edge in terms of receivers. I think they've got a little bit of an edge in terms of special teams. And I think their, their offensive line and their running game is better. So, um, you know, Clemson a couple years ago was, was a pretty big underdog and, and just destroyed Alabama in the championship game. And maybe that'll happen again, but you just – from early in the season, Alabama to me looked like the team that had the most uh, upside and the most togetherness and and the most continuity and, and you know and you just see it in their production. They're they're really really tough to stop. Yeah, they are really tough to stop. It'll be a fun game if we get it. And obviously, there's a lot of other bowl action going on. I know there've been a lot of games that had like issues. The coronavirus been canceled, postponed. Of the stuff that's still on the schedule as of recording on Wednesday afternoon, what game intrigues you the most of the non CFP games? Um, none of the above. <laughs> um, I mean, most of these games are, are a bit of a joke. Um, a lot of opt outs, a lot of players who are just shutting it down for the year. Don't blame them. You know, certainly. I mean, we had one yesterday where, uh, a guy played a half and then shut it down, you know, and wasn't injured, just only played for a half. Like it's an unusual circumstance. I, I don't think most of these teams really care. I think they're just playing out the string. Uh, I'd, I'd be surprised, you know, and then you get like a Fiesta Bowl where, I mean, Oregon, with all due respect, like they, they shouldn't be there. They didn't win their division. Um, you know, they, they, they won their championship game, but they, they only played in the championship game because the team that won the division had COVID issues. So I, none of these games particularly excite me. This is really all about the playoff at this point. The, 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 these, are, these other games are even more sort of exhibitionish than, than they normally are. You also have to think that for a lot of these teams that you don't get the typical pageantry of the whole bowl experience because obviously in COVID protocol is basically going there, you work practicing, staying in your hotel and going back. So a lot of these guys might not care as much as they normally would. Yeah, these are like road, like regular, regular season road trips. It's, you know, in and out and they're playing the game. They're not, you know, there's no big fun events, no parades, no, uh, you know, prime rib eating competitions or whatever it is they do. 
the incentives are not necessarily there, like for, for most of these teams to to have fun. A lot of most of the time, these bowl games are a reward, and and it's a good like team bonding thing. This year, it's not a reward. In fact, in, in some cases, it seems like kind of a burden because uh, most of these players, uh, after the year they've had, would I, just as soon be home and uh, moving on to whatever their next thing is. Yeah, indeed. And last last thing I want to talk about is obviously it feels weird we haven't awarded the Heisman Trophy yet, but obviously we're waiting. That's coming up soon. So, who would you say is the favorite now? Is it Trevor Lawrence? Uh, you know, my sense of it is that that Devontae Smith has probably got the edge in, in among the voters. Um, that's that's an unscientific observation. That's just kind of monitoring the momentum and late in the season, people really taking notice of what he did and how many passes he caught in the SEC championship game where I think he kind of went in there as, as maybe a slight favorite. Uh, Lawrence made, made a push at the end and played great in the ACC championship game. You know, maybe just the way the voting works, the Alabama guys will kind of split the vote. But uh, my, my guess is Devontae Smith will win it. All right, there you have it. Dan Wolken, thanks for all the time today. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can people follow you on social media and keep up with your coverage on USA Today? Yeah, at Dan Wolken on Twitter and then uh, just USA Today Sports. All right, Dan, thanks all the time. I really appreciate it. Okay, thank you. All right, and there you have it. That was Dan Wolken talking college football playoff. Fun conversation there. Up next, we're going to our Week 17 NFL picks with Alan Austin right after this. Show me the money. All right, show me the money. NFL picks for week number 17 is here. Somehow the regular season, we managed to get through it, and we're, it looks like we have all 256 games go off as scheduled. Joining me today, a New York Giants fan and our, one of our pop culture team, Alan Oss is here. Alan, how are you? Good, Mike. How are you? Doing pretty good. I'm, I want to start off here. I give the, the new guests here the origin story. So tell me, how did you become a Giant fan? I became a Giant fan by my father. So... My father's a Brooklyn Dodger fan. So growing up, I never had a baseball team kind of not pushed on me. What's the word I'm looking for? You know, just kind of like in the, in the atmosphere. There was no baseball team in the atmosphere that my dad was actively rooting for. However, with football, he was a Giants fan and still is. And my favorite color is blue. So as a kid, naturally, I just kind of fell in suit and I think I've just been a giant fan because of the uniforms as a kid being blue and my dad's fandom you know and they're the local team they are the only local professional team that I'm a fan of so let's go big blue yeah big blue not a good week for you guys last week against the Ravens I mean nobody about telling the Giants that the game started at one o'clock because the Ravens ran all over in the first half the Giants were never really in this game so what, what was your big takeaway when watching that game my big takeaway is as good as our defense has been this year, our offense just doesn't have the firepower to keep up. So when we play a team that can score and score often, we struggle very, very much. And I do think that this kind of hiccup, so to speak, with the Ravens has helped make the Dave Gettleman firing all but inevitable. Yeah, I mean, we've heard reports last week that it sounds like Gelman's good trending towards being out on here. So I do think he made a big mistake beginning of his tenure by trying to just double down the EY situation. I think that may have come from ownership, but 
is what was the last year of not been bad, although making a mistake with potentially Daniel Jones, who I don't think is the long-term answer there, and staying number two on Saquon Barkley when you had other options to make improve the roster and you didn't take a quarterback. I think those would be the two things that haunt him going forward. I'm not as big a hater on the Saquon move. I was so happy to get a star running back in New York for the first time in a long time. Like We've had effective running backs, but no star. I was a fan of that pick, believe it or not. But I do think that the arrogance that he just exudes at all times with his I know best, I know football mentality, you know, it's a little off-putting, not to mention he was gung-ho on the Daniel Jones selection. And don't get me wrong, it's not like the other option who other, I, I as a Giants fan was clamoring for Dwayne Haskins. Obviously, Jones is the better of the two, but as you said, he is not the long-term answer. He has shown that maybe he's reached his ceiling already, which is good, not great at the NFL level, can move a little bit, but is struggling in with holding on to the ball and some other decision-making. I, as a Giants fan, would love to see Ryan Fitzpatrick in a Giants Giants uniform next year, keep Jones as the backup, maybe see if you know he learns anything. But I do not see Daniel Jones, so that pick obviously haunts me with Gettleman and the DeAndre Baker selection, obviously not Gettleman's fault, but it is a first-round selection that didn't pan out. Maybe there's character issues that could have been avoided. And it's just like frustrating to see this guy who's made some good free agent signings, Blake Martinez, James Bradbury, and a couple others, and he had a good draft with linebackers this year. It's just the big selections don't seem, you know, number six to take Daniel Jones when Josh Allen was sitting there. It was very frustrating. It's just frustration after frustration, and I'm just sick of it as a Giants fan. I do, however, think Joe Judge is the right coach. Yeah, so this year's been an interesting year for them because obviously they started 0-5. They got 5-5 and since, but... The only reason they're still alive is the, is the miserable energy. What do you think of the year one of Joe Judge? Love it. I don't. I think he's making lemonade out of some lemons. I do think that he's struggling with Daniel Jones. I know there's been injury concerns, but I think part of that's Jones. I, I don't think it's Judge. I think Judge is one of the better first-year coaches in recent memory, and I think he's got a stronghold on the team. He made the Golden Tate punishment very well known, and that was a veteran. Everyone seems to be treated equally, and there seems to be nothing but respect. I know there have been teams in all sports where they get a new head coach. He's young. He's trying to make himself feel in charge, and especially the older players just aren't feeling it. Countless examples doesn't seem to be the case with Judge. He's got a high-powered coaching staff pedigree around him, loving what Patrick Graham's doing with the defense. Not necessarily loving what Jason Garrett's doing with the offense, but the offense has many, many holes. I just love Joe Judge, and I'm very glad he's our man at the helm for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and right now, foreseeable future could extend one more week because, as we've seen, there are scenarios the Giants can still win the NFC East because the way the schedule is broken out, Giants and Cowboys play Sunday afternoon. The winner of that game gets to wait until 8.20 on Sunday night when the Washington football team goes to Philly. If Washington loses, the winner of the Giant game is in the playoffs. What do you think has to happen here for the Giants to beat Dallas? Because Dallas has been hot of late. Dallas has been hot of late, and it'll take a good offensive performance. Dallas's defense, if you watch the game against Philly, they played well, but they also took advantage of a lot of mistakes. And if the Giants 
limit the mistakes, and run the ball effectively. I could see them stealing this game. But if Dallas wins, I think they take the division because I think Washington is just dead on arrival come Sunday night. Yeah, because right now we don't know who's playing quarterback for Washington. Right now, I think if the game he played today, it'd be Taylor Heineke, who we last saw in the XFL, and he used to be a backup there. So not a good situation down there. No, and, you know, I have a friend who's a Washington fan, and he said he really wants to love Rivera, but it's just so hard. And he doesn't see the culture change promised at the beginning of the year. He sees a lot more toxicity. I mean, the whole Haskins situation has been a debacle. And, you know, Rivera's gone through a lot this year, and it just seems like year two will be the real beginning of the Rivera reign down in Washington. Yeah, so gut call on your part. Are the Giants hosting a playoff game next week? I will say, as a fan, I am hoping so, and I'm, I will regret it till my dying day if I say no. So I will, on the record, say yes. All right, we will see what happens there. Let's get to the picks, the reason why you're here this week. Martino Puccio was here last week. He went 1-2 and two on the week. He had the Chiefs laying the 10 points against the Falcons. That game was much closer than we thought. Chiefs escape on a, a missed field goal by Young Hoi over at the end of regulation. He had the Dolphins laying a two and a half. They won by just a point out in Vegas. Ryan Fitzpatrick Miracles there. He did win at the Seahawks laying a point and a half. So one and two on the week for Martino. Yeah, and he had a rough week on the pod. It was a very somber guest appearance by Martino last week. Rightfully so with the tre- the tank for Trevor ending and this week officially ending. So my thoughts go out to Martino. Yeah, they're one and two. He went one and two last week. I went two and one on the week last week. I had the Saints laying the seven on on Christmas against the Vikings. They won running away because Alvin Kamara scored six touchdowns. I had the Steelers actually laying points. I made the call against the against the Colts that came back to win that game, helped me out. I lost. I thought the Jacks keep it close, seven laying seven and getting seven and a half. They got blown out. So two and one week, not bad. Not bad at all. And uh, you would have made some money last week, it seems. Yeah, I had a good shot of money last week. On the year, this, the race is still tight. Team Challengers is 25-22-1. I'm 28-20. So the regular season title is still not decided coming down to this week. I think you're sitting in a good spot. Yeah, this is going to be a, a good week. I mean, I feel like as long as I get one, I'm at least a short of a tie. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're in a good position. Yeah, so let's make some picks. Alan, as the guest, you're up first. Where are you going with pick number one? All right, with my first pick, after the Snowmageddon game that we witnessed on Sunday evening, I'm taking the Packers minus six over the Bears. I think the Packers have a point to prove, and they're just going to kick Chicago out of the playoff race. They're going to come full guns blazing. They are going to secure that number one spot and win big on Sunday. Yeah, I love that pick because I think the Bear hype is a little nuts right now. Everybody's back on the Trubisky train, but they've beaten three of the worst defenses in the league. They lost to one of them in Detroit, and the Vikings have an awful showing here. This is a big step up in weight class of the Bear. I don't think they're going to be able to handle it. I think they're going to lose this game pretty big. I'm with you on that one. Where are you going with your next pick? My next pick, by the way, I just want to say, if I'm a Green Bay fan, I'm thrilled at the new love for Trubisky in Chicago. <laughs> My next pick is going to be the Tennessee Titans winning the NFC South by beating the hopeless and helpless Houston Texans by seven and a half. Why I think that? Tennessee's because Tennessee's got a chip on their shoulder after the Green Bay game. They've got to close it out. Indianapolis is falling backwards. I think Tennessee comes out this week 
and shows that they are the offensive powerhouse they are. And Derrick Henry will run right over that terrible Texans run defense. Okay, I have some issues with that pick because I know number one, we've you saw Tennessee's defense on Sunday. We're not, they were not good. They've not been good the last couple of weeks. No, but Houston's offense has been nothing to write home about either. Deshaun Watson's getting zero help. Brandon Cooks and David Johnson are the only ones he can really trust. And if the Titans can shut one or both of them down, slice out. Yeah, my other issue is obviously the Texans are getting the hook here. It means they can lose by a touchdown and still cover the number here. Plus, J.J. walking out this week was like, oh, we have to play harder for our fans. They deserve better. I would not be surprised to get inspired effort out of the Texans on Sunday. So that's why I would not take that pick. But I can understand your logic for it. Well, we shall see. All right. Where are you going for your final pick? My final pick, I'm going with the Panthers plus six and a half against the Saints. I think Matt Rule's team loves playing for him. I think Teddy Bridgewater and a lot of other guys are fighting for a spot on an NFL team next year. And I think the Saints, having clinched, are going to take a deep breath and, you know, play well. I think the Saints will win, but I do have the Panthers giving them a fighting spirit and really, really trying to play hard for Matt Rule and show that they are not giving up this season. Teddy Bridgewater, like I said, has really got something to prove, and I just think they come out against the same team that is taking a little bit of an exhale. All right, those are your picks on the board. Pick number one. I'm actually going directly head-to-head with you on that pick. I'm laying the six and a half with the Saints just because I feel like this is a game where they still have a path to home field. They can win, get some help from the Bears and the Seahawks, and they can win on a three-way tie. The Saints are peaking at right, at right now. That running game is good. Drew Brees getting back in form. This team has a lot of good job taking care of business on the road here. I'm laying less than a touchdown, so I think this is a... Seven-point statement. I think Carolina will play tough, but I think the Saints will outlast them again. I'm going pick number one directly head-to-head with you. Saints laying the six and a half. It's on. Yeah. It's on, my friend. Yeah, that's on. Pick number two. This is one I feel like this is going to be a game where it's going to be a whitewash because Baltimore really needs this game. They're playing great. They're pummeling bad teams. They're laying 11 and a half on the road against the Bengals. This game will not be close. Lamar Jackson's offense has gotten reignited since he returned from the COVID list. They blew the Giants out last week. They blew the Cowboys out before that. They had an epic showdown against the Browns. The Bengals have played better. They have won two in a row, but big step up in weight class here. I'm not kind of that Steeler game because Steelers were like basically sleepwalking through that game. Baltimore needs a win to get in. They're going to win by at least two touchdowns. they the 11 and a half with the Ravens pick two. I like that pick. I just want to say shout out to the Bengals for really playing with some heart here these last couple weeks. They have every reason to, you know, fold it up and, you know, just lay down, losing their star stud quarterback. But they have really showed heart and a real testament to the coaching staff over there in Cincy. All right, that's pick number two. And pick number three, for the first time this season, I am taking the New York Jets, getting three and a half points on the road in New England against the Patriots. And we see New England, they look awful. They've gotten run off the field against Buffalo in week fifth and week 16. Miami beat them. They have no offensive capability whatsoever. Belichick does not know he wants to play quarterback this week. The Jets are playing hard. They've covered in five of their last seven games. They're getting the hook on the road. So even if they're close, they can still lose by a field goal and cover the number. I think they're actually going to win this game outright because they're playing hard on the stretch. Young defense has stepped up. New England has nothing offensively. I think the Jets are going to win this game outright in the year on a three-game winning streak. So give me the Jets getting three and a half pick three. I agree, and I think the Patriots are probably going to just play Jared Stidham, who has not looked, you know, 
He's not looked good as an NFL player. I think the Jets do win this game. And since they locked up the uh, number two pick, as a Jets fan, I feel like this is the first time all season you can actively root for them. Yeah, I can. As long as the owner isn't stupid and decided that the three-game winning streak is enough to keep Adam Gase around. That's the only concern I have. I would think that would be the most short-sighted decision ever if that were the case. Have you seen the Jets owner? It's rough. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's not pretty. It's not pretty, but I think they are going to end the year on a three-game winning streak, and the Patriots have nothing to play for in this game, so I would not be shocked they rest a bunch of their guys to get them ready for next year. I could see that. I mean, this, at this point, losing for the better pick not going to improve their draft standing too much. I just think the Jets are going to play better and more, like you said, with more pizzazz than New England, who just seems to be done with this season. Yeah, New England's mailed it in. Let's get to the reset the picks of the week. Allen is laying the 7.5 with the Titans on the road in Houston. He is laying the Packers 6 points in Chicago against the Bears, a game both teams really need to win. He's laying, actually getting 6.5 with the Panthers at home against the Saints. I'm going head-to-head with him on that pick. I am laying the 6.5 with New Orleans. I am laying 11.5 on the road with Baltimore, a game they have to win to get in the playoffs. And I am laying the th- uh, getting the three and a half with the Jets in Foxborough against the Patriots. Those are your picks for week 17 on the podcast. Next week, we are going to have the wild card round begin on the po- on the podcast. I'm bringing back one of your grad school guys, Charlie Borges, is coming back and talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers getting ready for their first round game. Gorgeous Borges. Always a fun time. Yeah, always a fun time. We talk- I haven't talked to Charlie since week two, so it'll be interesting to see how he feels about the whole Tampa Bay season at this point. For sure. I mean... If I'm a Tampa Bay fan, I am thrilled at their relevance and the the media that follows them, but I also wish they were playing a little bit more lights out and a little bit more effectively. And also of note, because it's also another reason why I got Charlie on here, because there's a good chance that like if the scenarios play out next week, next week could be Bucks at Giants on on Sunday for the wild card game. And you know what? I, I would I, Tom Brady. Giants are his kryptonite. Uh, let's, let's keep an eye on if that's the case. Yeah, these guys played earlier in the year, and the Bucks struggled mightily that Monday night game before they winning it at the end. Yeah, for sure. That was the game I wish the Giants took. There were a lot of those this season. But if the Giants managed to make it in, I think it would be a very interesting game versus old Tom Terrific. All Remember, right. he's not the Tom Terrific. I apologize. No, he, he wants to be Tom Terrific, but he's not. Correct, correct. All right, Alan, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I can be following on social media and keep up some of the other stuff you're up to. Sure. Uh, it's at Alan, A-L-L-E-N, underscore Austin, underscore on Twitter. Alan Austin Sports on Instagram. And there's the Alan Austin Show on YouTube and the American Scene Podcast. Uh, anywhere you listen to your podcast, the podcast where we look at movies with American in the title and dissect their cultural relevance, values, and so on. Yeah, I have another American movie request. I'm curious to see if you've done this yet. Have you done American Graffiti yet? Not yet. Not yet. I don't think that one's on the docket soon, but obviously we will cover it at some point. All right, Alan. Thanks again. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. All right, and that will do it for this week's first show. I want to thank our guest, Dan Wolkin, for hopping on Zoom to talk all about the college football playoff. I also want to thank Alan Austin for doing the Week 17 NFL picks. If you want to look at stuff like this podcast, including my look at what the return of the NHL will look like this year. We had a lot of fun with that. Check out the blog over justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all our usual suspects. 
Simply search for Just End the Suffering on any of those podcast platforms. You can find all episodes there, including last week's holiday special. It was a lot of fun. I highly recommend you listen to it when you get a chance. Feel free to give your feedback and star rating as well. Help make this podcast even better going forward. You can also follow my YouTube channel, Mike Phillips, on YouTube for individual conversations from the podcast, including our chats with Dan and Al. will be out there in just a bit. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-3-3-1. All right, that's all for our first show of the week. Coming up next, Pop Culture Year Review 2, Sam Nero's a John Stanko Friday. Until then, hope you had a better week than the Browns fans did. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.